right, so I want to talk to you about the greatest commandment today as we're going through the Gospel of Mark. So I'm going to ask you all to stand with me for the reading of the word, Mark chapter 12, 28 through 34. I believe this, not because of me, but this is one of the most important messages that you could ever hear. So the word of our Lord, then one of the scribes came and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? And Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. So the scribes said to him, well said, teacher, you have spoken the truth, for there is one God, and there is no other but he. And to love him with all the heart, with the understanding, with the soul, and with the strength, and to love one's neighbor as oneself, is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now, when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. Father, just open up our hearts and minds to your word. Impress it upon us, Lord God. Let it bring forth an abundance of fruit in our lives. For we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So, tune in to me real closely with what I'm going to say to you right now. In fact, if you hear anything in this message today, hear these first few words. The love of God is the beginning of true spiritual life. To, to love the Lord your God, right, that, that is the essence of the Christian life. But, we will all, in this life, love God imperfectly. Is there anybody here who's loving God perfectly? I want to drink what you're drinking. I want to eat what you're eating. Now, the, cul the, the, the culmination of spiritual life in heaven is to love the Lord your God perfectly. So in this world, we will love God imperfectly. And in the next life, we will love God perfectly. Now, the expression of love, I want to ask you this, what is the expression of love that's described in the scriptures? Obedience. You should have said it out loud. You would have been the only one who got it right. <laughs> Obedience. And in this world, we will love God and obey him imperfectly. In the next life, we will love God and obey him perfectly. So loving God is the beginning and the end of our relationship with God. To be a Christian, a true Christian, is to be a lover of God. A lover of the Father, a lover of the Son, and a lover of the Spirit. Heaven will be filled with people who in this life loved God imperfectly, and in the next, loved God perfectly. Hell will be filled with people who have refused to love God in this life, and they will refuse to love God in the next life. But love, love is the essence of the Christian experience and the Christian life. Now, that, that, that concept is very simple, but it has, let me tell you, far-reaching implications. So when you, you come to the text, Mark 11, beginning in verse 28, 
Then one of the scribes came, and having heard them reasoning together, perceiving that he had answered them well, asked him, which is the first commandment of all? So again, the context, right? Mark chapter 12. It's Jesus last week. On Monday, right, he enters into Jerusalem. I know people again, you know, well, it was Palm Sunday. No, it was Palm Monday. <laughs> Church tradition, you know, if you take the Bible as it is, Jesus entered in tri triumphal entry on Monday. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. On Tuesday, what did he do? He went into the temple and he threw out the money changers. He went into the temple and he, he cast out the sacrifice sellers who returned his father's house, which was meant to be a house of prayer. They turned it into a money-making bazaar. I just want to show you, give you a picture of what Jesus did. And this is from this week's VBS. Can I make sure I have sound there, guys? This is Dante playing Jesus going into the town. Let me tell you something. It was a wild week with, with Tito and Chris and just every, the, the worship you know, just was, was phenomenal, the ladies. But here is, here is Jesus going in. But you have been in a den of thieves! And lost the table and he chased everyone. I'll stop there. That's the, I mean, my wife said, these guys are like Hollywood actors. I mean, they really took this serious. You had to see, they, they, had, they had Peter cutting off, right? The, you know, the servant of the high priest's ear. And let me tell you, when you see it, and I'll show it to you at some point, when you see it, it looked pretty real with the sword fighting and everything. It was pretty cool. So, it's now Wednesday, right? What happened on Wednesday? Well, Jesus, the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world, the perfect Lamb of God without blemish is being examined by the priests, just as it says in Exodus chapter 12, they had to examine the Lamb, the Passover Lamb. Jesus is being examined. He's examined first by the Pharisees who come and ask him, and they test him by saying, should we pay taxes? And Jesus says, you know, give to Caesar what is Caesar, and to God what is God's. And the Sadducees come with their convoluted, remember that last week, that crazy, crazy story Right, cockamamie. Remember, I, I said it's cockamamie. About a woman who was married to seven brothers, and Jesus again gives them a, a, a solid answer, and he confounds them. Now, a scribe comes. Now, the, the scribes were essentially the interpreters of the law. Some of the scribes were actually Pharisees, some were not. But they were the bookworms. They're the scholars. They, they studied Tanakh and Torah, and then they interpreted it, and the Pharisees tried to live it out. Actually, what they did was they, they take the Old Testament, and they turn it and eventually into what is called the Mishnah and the Talmud, 27 volumes of the Talmud, of rules and regulations. And again, the Pharisees are trying to, to carry this all out. So one of the scribes here, he's kind of a spokesman for the scribes, and he's really kind of somewhat of an honest guy, He's setting out to trap Jesus, but there's a, a, a sense of honesty with him. And he comes and he asks Jesus the question, what is the greatest commandment above all commandments? Right? The, essentially, if you look, right, the, 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 and I'll take you just real quickly here to uh, Matthew. 
The Pharisees tried to trap him and they couldn't. The Sadducees tried to trap him and they couldn't. Now the, tri- the scribes. So here they are. They're, they're like huddling together. And the scribe says, you know, I think I can get him. I think I, think I could trap him. You know, I think, I think I got a shot that I can, you know, I can, I can show that, that he's a liar or that he's a deceiver. So they're, they're plotting against him, which is, which is a fulfillment of prophecy. If you were here a couple of, a couple of weeks ago when I was teaching on Psalm 2, the, the prophecy, okay, of what you're seeing, right, in Mark chapter 12 from Psalm 2 is being fulfilled. We talked about you had an immediate fulfillment and then you have a future fulfillment. And let me just read it to you here from, um, from Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 and 5. I'm sorry, I skipped over that. Let me come back. Oh, I jumped, I jumped way over. Psalm 2, verses 1 and 3. Why do the nations rage and the people plot a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us break their bonds in peace and cast away their cords from us. So what you're seeing in Mark 12 is fulfillment of the prophecy given in Psalm chapter 2. You know, something interesting that I came across 26% of the Bible is prophecy. Yet today, preachers in churches like ours, who preach the word, only preach on 3% of all prophecy in Scripture. Now, if, you, if you've been around, you watch things, most pastors won't touch Revelation. They won't touch the, the Sermon on the Mount of Olives, Matthew chapter 24. We're actually going to look at it in Mark in a couple of weeks. They won't touch on the prophecies of Daniel or Ezekiel or Isaiah. They just, just run away. I mean, I've, I've talked to people in churches and mentioning the book of the Revelation, and they never heard a sermon from the book of the Revelation. And I, I preached through the book of the Revelation multiple times in, you know, in the time of my ministry. So prophecy, again, 26%. Here is a prophecy. And I, I, want you to, I want you to notice the prophecy. The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together. The kings of the earth, Herod, Pontius Pilate, the rulers, the Sanhedrin, the Pharisees, Sadducees, scribes, the Herodians, they're all coming against Jesus. And notice verse 3, let us break their bonds. I want you to notice the word there. Not let us break his bonds, let us break their bonds, used twice. Right? Plural, not the singular. Why? Because when we read Psalm 2, and if you, know, you heard that message on Psalm 2, it blows your mind because you see the Father, Son, and Spirit speaking. Right, The Spirit begins, then the Father speaks, then Jesus speaks, then you have the Holy Spirit wrapping it up. That's Psalm, you've got to look at Psalm 2, it's incredible. But it's there. They, they want to throw off, they don't want God. They're religious people. They are the most religious people who have ever walked the earth. They don't want God in their lives. He's interfering with their fame. He's interfering with their fortune. Right? He's interfering with their religion. And they want to throw him off. So he comes and he asks the question. Jesus answered him, the first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. Now they expected a different answer. And he gives them the answer, right? The Sadducees only believe in Torah, the first five books. And the Pharisees believe in the entire Tanakh, right? All the way in our Bible from Genesis to Malachi. 
So Jesus gives them, where does this commandment come from? Where will you find it? In Deuteronomy, right? You find it, you find it in Deuteronomy. What does Deuteronomy mean? Like this is like uh, Bible study 101. Deuteronomy means second, right? Deutero, number two, it's the second law. So the, the Israelites were taken captive in Egypt for 400 years. God liberates them, right, through the ten plagues. They go through the Red Sea. And the Lord reveals the law on Mount Sinai. You see that in Exodus chapter 20. He begins to reveal the law to Moses. The Ten Commandments, the 613 statutes of Moses. God says, obey me and I'll bless you. If you disobey me, I'm going to curse you. And they disobeyed God. And that entire generation with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, what happened to them all? They wandered through the desert for 40 years and they all died in the desert. So now, the new generation comes to the Jordan River. And here they are in the Jordan getting ready to go into the promised land, the land flowing with milk and honey. And God has to give them a second law. The same law, but he needs to repeat it. And that's Deuteronomy. So God now is going to give them the law and again says to them, obey me, I'll bless you, disobey me, and I'll curse you. Here. See the word here? I'm going to ask you a tough question. Faith probably know. What's the Hebrew word for here? Shema. Shema. This is the Shema. Shema Israel. Shema Israel. What does Shema mean? It means to hear carefully. It means to hear attentively. It means to hear with a desire to obey what you're hearing. So obey me. This is what it says. Obey me, O Israel. Obey me. What's the motive for obedience? Right there. It's love. Obey me, and the motive will be love. That's the driving force. That's the energy. Obedience is not external. Not in the Old Testament or the New Testament. Obedience is internal. It's not cold. It's not hard. It's not religious. Love is relational. Obedience flows from a heart that is energized with love, from a soul that is empowered by love. It is empowering to the entire being, this thing called love. It flows right down to the mind, to the will, and into the body where there's action. Now that the Hebrew word used for love here in Deuteronomy chapter 6 is heb. Heb, to, to, to love is, is heb. What is the New Testament word? Jesus uses it over and over in the Gospels. Paul uses it throughout the epistles. It's used by John over and over again, by Jude, by James. What is the New Testament word that Jesus uses? Agape, agape. Jesus uses the word agape, the Greek Aramaic, uh, Aramaic word, uh, agape. Jesus uses the, the verb apio here. It is 
essentially to love with the intelligence, to love with the will, to love in purpose, to love by choice, and to love with action. It, it, it is to love a love that produces obedience. It is the purest, noblest, highest, most comprehensive, most exhaustive, most complete love, and it is the love of God. Now, now watch. Watch what Jesus did. Jesus says, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Do you, do you notice that he added a word here? Right? He added, he added a word from the Shema. From Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 4 and 5. He added the word mind. Why did he do that? Because he can. <laughs> because only he can. Because he's God. And it is forbidden that anybody add or subtract from the word of God. And again, you see that, you see that in the Old Testament. You see that in the New Testament. The Bible ends in Revelation chapter 22 with that warning. Anybody who adds is going to be cursed. Anybody who subtracts is going to be cursed. The very plagues of the book of the Revelation will be added to their life. But because he is God, he adds. And what he does here, by adding that word, he raises the bar. I'll show you this. So we are to love the Lord our God with all our heart. Right? What is God concerned about? That's the, the, the very central thing when Samuel was anointing, right, David, and right, he, they, they thought it was going to be David's other brothers, they thought it was going to be Nadab, they thought it, you know, and it was, it was David because Samuel, right, he said, man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the, God looks at the heart. The heart is the core of our being. It's our desires, our passions, our values. It's the things that we truly love and adore and think about most. The things that we will work for, the things that we're willing to fight for, and the things that we're willing to die for. It is, it is the, the purest, truest part of our being. We are to love God from our hearts. Then he says we are to love God from our souls. The soul is, is the seat of our emotions. In Matthew chapter 26, verse 38, in the Garden of Gethsemane, Jesus said, My soul is exceedingly sorrowful. Same word. It's the part of, of, of our emotions. It's that emotional element. It's where our deepest feelings are. That we are to have these, these deep emotional feelings of love for God. We are to love what He loves, and we are to hate what He hates. We are to rejoice at the things that he rejoices at and we are to despise the things that he despises. We are to love the Lord our God with all of our mind. And mind talks about purpose, right? People say, I made up my, I made up my mind to pray. I made up my mind I'm going to start going to church regularly. I made up my mind I was going to go on a diet. I made up my mind I'm going to start exercising. I made up my mind... I made up my mind. It's the place of will. It's the place of decision. It's the place of choices. To love God is a choice that we make every day over and over and over again. To obey God is a choice that we make over and over and over again. You made a choice today to come to Living Word Community Church and worship your God. That's an expression of love. 
People have made the choice today to serve God here, an expression of love. But that is a choice. That is, that is of the mind. And then the fourth word Jesus uses is strength. Energy. Physical action. There will be evidence in the way that we move our bodies that we love God. Bent knees. Raised hands. Clapping hands. Giving hands. Lips that share the love and the grace and the gospel of God. Now, the places we go, the things we do, are all expressions of our love for God. My, one of my mentors, John Maxwell, Greek leadership mentor, some of you know him, some of you may know him from outside the church, from his, uh, his business writings. John would say, if you want to see your devotion to God, your love of God, just look at your calendar and your checkbook. Boy, did that hurt. Right? Because you can stand there and say, I love God, I love God, I love... I mean, it's just, I've watched this for years. You know, I love the Lord, I love the Lord, I love the Lord. And the person doesn't do anything to obey God. So there's, there's this aspect of strength. Now, I want to show you, I want to show you something here. If you love God from your heart, and that's where it begins, your, your, your desires, your, your passion, you have a desire and a passion filled with love for God. That then flows to the soul, and there will be that, that emotion, that, that feeling, deep feelings. And then it will flow to the mind, and you will choose now you're, you're in a place of wisdom. You will choose and you will will to please God, to obey God. And then that flows to your strength, to your actions, to your actual obedience. But please, please notice it. I don't think it's a mistake that Jesus said heart, soul, mind, and strength. I don't think he started with the strength and then said, you know, I'm going to throw in soul, mind, and then we're going to finish with the heart. He says heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, you know anything about motivation, that's the way it flows. When I, when I, I coach with people, I work with people having a hard time getting themselves to do something. It could be marketing, it could be sales, it could be something in leadership. It could be trying to get them to be healthier and eat better and exercise. It has to begin with the heart. And then it flows to the soul. There's feeling. And then comes the choices, the volitional, the will. And then suddenly comes the action. When people are trying to get themselves to do something, that's why, you know, when you go on a diet, right, you're, you're operating usually, most people, in strength. January 1st, everybody goes on a diet. They're done with it by January 15th, maybe even sooner. Because it hasn't really gotten into their heart. Flowed to their soul, flowed to the mind, and then flowed into their actual actions. It all leads... Right? This love of heart, soul, strength, uh, mind, strength, it all leads to obedience. God's love language is obedience. I, I, I think you want to write that down. Loving Him in this life, you will love Him imperfectly. I just want to tell you, I do all the time. I do all the time. I love him. He is the supreme love of my life. 
I love him more than I love my wife, my children, my grandchildren. But I love him imperfectly. By the way, I love them imperfectly as well. But I love him, and I love him imperfectly, and I obey him, and I obey him imperfectly. And that is just a fact. But watch, watch again, as you go through the Bible, again, the love language, right, is always obedience. Old Testament, New Testament. Look, just I want to share with you a few passages. And boy, I could, I could go on and show, share things with you until 3 o'clock in the afternoon. You shall therefore love the Lord your God. And notice, and always keep his charge, his statutes, his ordinance, and his commandments, right? If you love him, you are going to be proactive and you're going to obey him. Imperfectly. Doesn't that make you feel good? Yeah, yes, yes, it does make, Barry, it does make me feel good. Just, there's grace here. I need it. <laughs> Joshua 22.5. But take careful heed to do the commandment and the law which Moses, the servant of the Lord, commanded you to love the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to keep his commandments, to hold fast to him, and to serve him with all your heart and with all your soul. I shared with this a couple of weeks ago, John chapter 14. Look at what Jesus says here. Four times, right? Three in the positive, one in the negative. If you love me, keep my commandments. He who has my commandments and keeps them is he who loves me. Jesus answered and said to him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. And in verse 24, he who does not love me does not keep my words. Simple. It, it, right? Obedience is essentially the love language of the Lord, of God, of Jesus. Notice, notice something here too. Notice verse 21. Which says, and he who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. And then verse 23, and my Father will love him, and we will come to him and make our home with him. And it's, it's something very simple. If we love God, and we are obeying him, it, 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 even imperfectly, we are going to receive God's blessings. We are going to receive God's blessings. I'm not, not talking about a perfect life, a problem-free life. He says, I'm going, to manif I'm going to manifest myself to you. I'm going to make my home in you and live in you. There's going to be this, this great manifestation of the, the glory, the grace, the mercy, the peace, the joy, the love of God in our lives. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. Eye has not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. The mark, the mark of a true believer, they love God. They love Jesus. That's the, the evidence, that's the fruit. Right? This love that produces obedience. They will seek to do the things that he's calling them to do. They will do the things he's calling them to do. And they will do them, right? How? Imperfectly. Imperfectly. I pray imperfectly. I want to confess you. I pray, I pray for you guys, girls, children. I pray for you every day. But I pray imperfectly. I worship imperfectly. Sometimes I get distracted. I study, meditate, read, memorize the word imperfectly. I love others imperfectly. I forgive others imperfectly. You know when you're, you're learning something? I teach people, when you're learning something, you've got to kind of know where you're at. 
You have to learn to crawl before you can walk. You've got to learn to walk before you can run, and you need to learn to run before you can sprint. And you need to learn to sprint if you're ever going to fly. <laughs> but but we, we, we learn, right? It's, 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 it's progressive. And as you're learning, right, I tell people, anything worth doing is worth doing poorly at first. Worship is worth doing, but you're going to do it poorly at first. Prayer is worth doing, but you're going to do it poorly at first. Sharing the gospel with people is worth doing, but you're going to do it poorly at first. At first. Serving God. You should have seen, I mean, she's preaching and teaching. You should have seen my first sermon. We wish we videotaped it to show it to you. You probably would never come back here again. Right? My wife said, if you keep doing that, I don't think, I don't think we're going we're to keep doing this in ministry. And just the anxiety I was experiencing the week before getting in the pulpit and preaching. Remember that first sermon? Went up to Warwick, New York. First, my wife said I was driving like a maniac. Look, she's going like this. She, she came for the first sermon, and I drove her back home, and then I went back up at night. I drove over, I think it was an armadillo. I'm telling you, it was something I've never seen. It, it, it was like an armadillo, and it got stuck in my wheel well. I was just like... When, you, when you're learning something new, it will take, listen to this, 300 to 500 repetitions before you actually learn it. And that goes for anything. Something physical, shooting a basketball, hitting a golf ball, prayer. It takes you about 300 to 500 repetitions. And if you're unlearning something, so you've built a, a pattern that you realize is not productive, it is not good, it takes 3,000 to 5,000 repetitions before you actually unlearn it. <laughs> Repetition is the mother of success. So when I go to the food store, and I go to the produce store every week to buy produce, and um, you know now you have to bring your own bags. But for the last 60 years of my life, they gave you bags. Plastic bags, paper bags, they gave you bags. So my wife has this bag that's got about 40 bags that I've bought stuffed into it. Because every time I go to the produce store, I forget to bring the bags. So the way I'm thinking of this, it's probably going to take me about another 2,970 times to go buy produce before I get it. I'll be dead by then. I'm with the Lord. I took a picture of the bags, but it didn't come through. I wanted to show you. We are to love God. The expression of our love is obedience. That love and obedience in this life will be imperfect. It was imperfect for Paul. It was imperfect for Moses. It was imperfect for John. It's perfect now for them. Then Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself. Second commandment. Verse 31, and the second, like it, is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There was no other commandment greater than these. Where did Jesus pull that from? He pulls it out of Torah. He pulls it from the Tanakh. He pulls it from Leviticus chapter 19, 11. You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. 
Now, some of you may be sitting there and going, well, I guess I need to love myself more. Because if I love myself more, I'm going to love others better. And self-love is not the problem. Notice he never addressed that. We love ourselves. Right? It just, it just it comes easy. We bathe ourselves, feed ourselves, comfort ourselves, adorn ourselves, pamper ourselves, entertain ourselves. We naturally love ourselves. What did Jesus say we should do with the self? Very different than the pop psychologists today with the self-esteem movement. He said, deny yourself. He said, he said, die to yourself. Forget about yourself. And you know what the beauty of that is? When you lose yourself, you will find yourself. When you die to yourself, you will actually experience life. Self-centeredness, self-absorption, selfishness. Let me just tell you, it is the road to misery. It is the, the road to misery. The most miserable people on earth are people who are absolutely absorbed in themselves. Folks, anytime you come across a miserable person, you'll see they are just absolutely absorbed in themselves. It's me, myself, and I. That's their, their obses obsession. They, they want to be the corpse at every funeral and they want to be the bride at every wedding. And they can't seem to understand why they're so miserable, why they're so unhappy, why they're so unfulfilled. Because fulfillment comes from losing yourself in a noble cause, in, in service for us to God and to others. Call Menninger great American psychiatrist. He's um, doing this lecture and this guy asked him, what is the secret to happiness? And they were expecting him to go into this great like, intellectual, psychological dissertation about what you need to do with your thinking, what you need to do with your thoughts to become happy. And he said, go out the door, make a left, go down the street, go over the tracks, and the first person you see in need, help them. Help them. Yeah, he was on the right track. When you, when you reach out and you get involved with it, when you start thinking about other people, caring for other people, you carry other people in your heart, you carry other people in your prayers, you carry other people in your mind, you carry other people in your emotions. And suddenly, you know what, you're, you're, you're losing yours. You're still bathing yourself, you're still brushing your teeth. Maybe you're still doing the workout. You're still doing those things. But you know what? You've got other people on your mind instead of on your nerves. You've got other people in your heart instead of having them right under your skin. And you really start to experience a fulfillment when you begin to love and you begin to serve. You begin to care for other people. You know, my dad, my dad lived to be 94 years old. He served in World War II. And I had a conversation with him one day and I said, Dad, what was the most fulfilling time of your life? You know what he told me? It was going through boot camp and going into battle in World War II. My father was wounded three times. He was wounded with shrapnel in the foot. He was wounded with, with a, a bullet that went through his knee. And then he almost lost his hand with a bullet that ripped through his hand. And this doctor who was way ahead of his time, was doing like microsurgery back then. It was some type of micro. He saved his hand. But my father said, that was the most fulfilling time of my life. He went into the military at 17 years old. He basically lied on his, um, on his uh, 
birth certificate. But he said, that was the most fulfilling time of my life. Why? Because those guys went out to save the world. It was, it was a cause to save the world from the Nazis. And that was the most fulfilling time of his life. And again, that's, that's exactly what Jesus is saying. When you go and, you know what, you, you give your life to God and you give your life to helping other people and you give your life to serve them, you lose yourself in the cause and then you find yourself. Verse 32 through 33. So the scribe said to him, Well said, teacher. Again, right, there's a, a sense of respect here, some honesty. You have spoken the truth, for there is one God and there is no other but He. And to love Him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your soul and with all your strength, and to love one's neighbor as yourself is more than all the whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. Right? He's, he's kind of, he's happy that Jesus has agreed, right, with Torah. That Jesus has agreed with Tanakh. So he's, he's, kind of, he's kind of thrilled here. And Jesus says in verse 34, Now when Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. Not far. Close but no cigar. Right? Close. What is the kingdom of God? Jesus preached the kingdom of God over and over again. All the parables about the kingdom of like is a kingdom of God is like a sower who goes out to sow seed. The kingdom of God is like a great fish net. The kingdom of God is like a man who finds a treasure, goes and sells everything he has to get it. When you pray, pray our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of God is God's dominion, it's his power. It's his, it's his reign. It's his rule. So he says you're not far from the kingdom, but he's not in the kingdom. Why? Because the king is not the king of his life. He may, he may have an intellectual agreeing with Jesus, but he's not given his heart. He's not bowed down his life to the king of kings and the lord of lords. He hasn't come to the place, right, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 and 5, the Shema is in his head, but it's not in his heart. To love the Lord your God with all your heart, right? With all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength, it's not, it's not in his heart. It's in his head. And you can miss heaven by 18 inches. I don't know what happened to this guy. Maybe he's in heaven, maybe he's not. Right now, he's not. And you can miss heaven by 18 inches. Right? Having this in your head. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. We're to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, strength, and mind. We're to love God. We're to love our neighbor as ourself. But is it in your heart? Is that the desire? Is that the passion? That's flowing with emotion. And moving the will to obedience. An action. So, he's kind of more of a fan than a follower. A lot of fans. Jesus got lots of fans. And very few followers. You see that right in the Gospels. So, the greatest commandment, our final application, right, when you look at that commandment, Right? You, 
kind of think about it and meditate and love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength. That's kind of tough. Right? It's kind of hard. Can I give you a couple of, of tips that have helped me? I'll give you a couple of tips that have helped me. First tip. From Philippians chapter 1 verse 9. Paul says, in this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. Knowledge and discernment of what? Of who? Right? Of Jesus. Of God. Do you understand what that says? The more you know him, the more you know him, the more you will love him. The more you know of his love, of his work, of his compassion, of his kindness, of his forgiveness, of his mercy, of his grace, the more you will know him. Want to love God more? Go to a quiet place and open your Bible. Go to the last two chapters of the Gospel of Matthew or Mark or Luke or John and sit there and meditate and think about what he did for you Six hours, one Friday, on that cross. Think about the nails that went into his hands and feet that were meant for you. The crown of thorns that was on his head. The spear that went through his side. The stripes upon his back. The wounds in his hands and his feet. The seven words that he spoke from the cross. Let it rivet into your heart. You know, it's just something, I don't agree with everything in the Roman Catholic Church, though I do agree with the Nicene Creed. But the Catholics have a thing where they would take the crucifix and they kneel before it and they meditate on what Jesus did for them. As some Protestants or some evangelicals, they're like, well, hold on, you know, Jesus is not on the cross. Look, we understand that. But he was there six hours one Friday. And it's really important because the Gospels have made that very clear with very clear detail. Not only in the Gospels, but even written before in Psalm 22 and Isaiah chapter 52, 53, that are sometimes more graphic than what we see in the Gospels. But it is there that we are to see the incredible love of God and what he did for us. And let it rivet you in your heart. There is no place, no place, no place where I have experienced the love of God more than meditating on the cross of Jesus Christ. When the passion of the Christ came out and people in the church were like, did you see it? Did you see it? Did you see it? A year passed, two years, three years, five years. I didn't see the passion of the Christ until ten years later. Let me tell you why. Because I have spent so much time meditating and being there at the cross on my knees before Jesus that nothing can compare to it, and the passion of the Christ could not compare to what God had impressed upon my heart and riveted into my heart as I just focused on what he did for me. Second thing, we love him because he first loved us. Let God love on you. Let, let God love on you, experience his love. I mean, every day, I need, you need a strong dose of God's love. Let me give you, there are many different aspects of the love of God. I just want to give to you two of them here. Mercy and grace. Do you know that mercy, people, a lot of people think mercy and grace is like the same thing. Do you understand the difference? I was teaching this on a Wednesday night a few weeks ago. The difference between mercy and grace. You want to get this down. Mercy 
is, is essentially God not giving us what we deserve. I deserve God's wrath. I deserve God's condemnation. I deserve to be separated from God. Ultimately, I deserve hell. But God hasn't given me any of that. Grace is God giving us what we don't deserve. And I don't deserve his forgiveness. I don't deserve his love. I I don't deserve all of his blessings. His unconditional love. But that's what he's done. To let him just love all over. You say, well, I'm unworthy, God. Yeah, so were we. God, one time, I, I can't serve communion today because I'm unworthy. Well, in that case, I can't do anything for God because I have never been worthy and I will never be worthy. You have an unworthy pastor standing before you this morning preaching the word of God. But you just let that mercy touch your life. See, he's not going to give you what you deserve He's going to give you what you don't deserve. That's grace. And he's going to give you his forgiveness. And he's going to give you his love. And he's going to give you his compassion. And he's going to give you his kindness. That's what we get in Jesus. I'll give you my signature verse for for living the Christian life. This is this whole sermon in a nutshell. For the love of Christ compels us motivates us, juices us, excites us, energizes us, because we judge thus, that if one died for all, then all died, and he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. It's the Christian life in a nutshell. It is the love of Christ that compels us, that that moves us. He died for us. He gave himself for us. He was raised to life for us that we should no longer be living for ourselves. And the final word. There was a a French painter who would teach other students to paint. And he had this one student painting a portrait of Jesus. And he went away and he had lunch. And when he came back, the portrait was really shabby and poor. And the famous artist looked at his student and he said, If you love him more, you'd paint him better. If you love him more, you will paint him better. Think about that. The love of God. Loving God. It's the beginning and the end of our relationship with him. And it is a relationship, not religion. It is a relationship. And in this life, right, we will love him. How? Just accept that. (laughs) It'll make it easier on you. You'll rely much more on his mercy and his grace. But we will love him imperfectly. But in the next life, we will love him perfectly. So the love of God is the beginning and the end of the relationship with God. Heaven will be filled with people who in this life loved God but loved him imperfectly. And they will be there loving him perfectly. Hell will be filled with people who have refused to love God 
and in the next life they will refuse to love him. And that's the truth. You believe on Jesus, who he is and what he did for you, and you receive his love into your life. That's the Christian life. I hope you do that today. If you haven't given your heart to him, if you haven't opened up your life to him, do that today. Take him into your heart. It's the greatest gift that has ever been given. And love him. Amen? Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Simple, simple, simple word. To love the Lord our God and love our neighbor as ourself. But yet, Lord God, a, a word that we need to truly, Lord God, carry out every day. I pray a blessing upon all, Lord God. And again, if there's anybody here who this morning, Lord God, they need to come to you. They need to put their faith in you. They need to receive you into their life as their Lord and Savior. And receive your love, your forgiveness, your mercy, and your grace. Hey, I pray that you would do that right now and just ask Jesus. Just pray to Jesus and say, Jesus, come into my life. Come into my life. I believe in you. I believe you died on the cross for me. I believe you were raised from the dead. And Jesus, come into my life. I want to experience your mercy and grace. I want to experience your love. I want to begin a life and a relationship of loving you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Hey, as we close service, we'll open the altars. If you'd like to come forward, you can come forward and spend time with God. You can have people pray for you. If you feel that you need prayers for illness or prayers for something you're going through, we have people who will come up and pray with you. You can just come up and pray by yourself. Okay? Amen. Let's stand together as we sing this last song. He is our beloved, and we are also his beloved. God, help us to love you more so we can obey you more.
God bless you all and keep you. May his face that radiates his love shine down upon you and fill you with the shalom of God, the well-being of God, body, soul, spirit, your relationships, your home, your family, your children, the work of your hands. God bless you all and go with you all on this Lord's Day. In Jesus' name, amen.